Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. It is, it's a, I'm going back to my marriage talks. This is going to be part three, and this is on um, learning that you're not only a gift, but you're called to be a gift. And what does that mean? Pouring oneself out for others. So uh, I hope and pray that you enjoy this. And, and say a prayer for me. I'm still on my water fast. So I'm about on day 16, I think. So yeah, I can use some prayers. <laughs> I, I'll have a chance to tell you more about the unfolding of all this later, but not today. Be back. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Um, let's begin with a prayer and a reading from scripture. And I want you to really hold on to the scripture. You've probably heard it before. It's from Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 to 14. And it's a, it's a beautiful promise that the Lord makes to his people about his plan. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. For I know well the plans I have in mind for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for woe plans to give you a future full of hope. When you call me, when you go to pray to me, I will listen to you. When you look for me, you will find me. Yes, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me with you, says the Lord, and I will change your lot. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name, and we thank you and praise you for this opportunity to receive the blessings that you have in store for us. And so we ask and we plead and we pray that your Holy Spirit would ready us for all that you have. Guide us through this time. Anoint us for the task in this moment. And I pray, Jesus, that you would be the Redeemer to set free our minds and hearts, to be willing to be led by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for all the good gifts you've poured out upon us. Mother Mary, we ask for your prayers as together we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. About four years ago, I had to go through a series of medical tests they were trying to figure out something that was happening on the inside. And I went through the typical exams and through a CAT scan and an MRI. And then I had to do something called a PET scan. Anyone know what a PET scan is? And, and this is, it was a little different kind of thing. It has to do, I think, with positron emission. Sounds like Star Trek, right? Well, um, I showed up for my PET scan early in the morning. And... Um, I, I remember they brought me into this kind of separated location, and the woman said, we're going to um, shoot some radioactive water into you. I'm like, what? Well, yeah, and then we're going to kind of, it's going to go through your system, and we're going to be able to measure and, and see things through this 
PET scan. I'm like, okay. Well, and so they did it, and I passed out. And uh, <laughs> when I came through, it was all done. And, and then she said, now, you have to think of yourself uh, like an x-ray machine. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you know, a CAT scan or x-ray machine, they shoot x-rays like through you, right? We just shot something into you. So now you are going to be like a walking x-ray machine for the next 24 hours. So you have to avoid being with pregnant women and little children. <laughs> I'm like, nobody told me about not being with pregnant women and little children, which I had in abundance at home. And so I'm like, are you serious? Yes. I also happened to have three talks that day. So I had to go home first to get dressed for the first talk. So I called Carrie. I said, Carrie, lock all the kids in a room and don't come out, right? She, and I had to try to explain it to her. Sure enough, so I got dressed and I went. And I actually went to a prayer meeting in Gig Harbor. And I can remember I showed up there and I showed up and here are all these folks. And folks wanted to greet me and they're very friendly. They want to greet with a hug. And I'm like, stay back. I am radiating x-rays, right? And I said, I said, if you think you're pregnant, stay far away, right? So all of a sudden, the woman gets up and goes to the back. Everybody looks, right? <laughs> so much for a secret. And, um, uh, and this went on through the day. I, I gave another talk, and I, and I had to, I said, you know, all truth, I just have to let you know I'm actually radiating out x-rays of some sort, right? I'm, radi I'm radioactive, folks. And um, people, the whole front row got to the back. And, <laughs> and, uh, and that night, I had to sleep in a different part of the house and next day back to normal. Um, and, you know, I tell the story because Pope John Paul II, when he talks about the gift message as a truth for our lives, he talks about truth as something that doesn't just touch the mind or even get planted in the heart. But he says truth is meant, first of all, and most profoundly of all, to radiate from our lives. So you've been hearing about the gift message. You are a gift. Repeat it after me now. You're a gift. You're a gift. I'm a steward. I'm going to give myself as a gift. And I don't take myself too seriously. And if the only thing you did in, in the four sessions was memorize those sentences, well, that would be hope, helpful, hopefully, but it wouldn't have reached its goal. And even if you welcomed it into your heart and said, God, I, I want to know that gift quality of my own existence, and even I want to learn how to do things like affirm and be a good steward, and some of the practical things I'll do today, that, that'll even be better. But you won't have reached the goal line that John Paul II says, where you don't just know the message, or even, even in certain ways live the message, but you become the message. And you radiate it by how you are who you are. And, and in a certain way, that is a great entry point to today's message, which is focusing on, I am to give myself as a gift. So we're going to talk about giving ourselves as a gift. Now, this is a message, my first... Um, message I want to give you is appropriate for your own marriage, but especially if you have uh, children that are late teens in their 20s and, and they're starting to think about marriage, this story might be helpful. 
when Carrie and I had uh, John uh, Luke, I'm going to get the name, John Luke number six, we reached a milestone, right? Not only our second boy, but we had outgrown minivans, right? So we had gone, we had graduated to the uh, 12 passenger van stage in our existence. And so we went to a, a used car lot and we found a 12 passenger van. And so I went to talk to the salesman and said, uh, you'd like to get this van. He said, is it for a church? <laughs> I said, sort of. The family's called a domestic church, right? That's what the church talks about. The family's a domestic church, sort of. And I says, for my family, and that leads to a story, right? Oh, six kids. Wow, that's amazing. And then after, you know, he closes the deal with me and we agree, he ushers me in to talk to a woman who wants to sell me some kind of like add-on warranty service and this and that. And I said, uh, you know, we got this 12 passage. Oh, is it for a youth group? I said, kind of. <laughs> it's the current group, right? And, and, uh, and then they handed me off to the woman at the front who um, was the receptionist and she ran the paperwork and things like that. And, and she wasn't fully occupied with her time. So she had a book in front of her. It was her schoolwork that she had been working on between customers. And, you know, I'm kind of interested in what's happening. And so I said, oh, what are you studying? Oh, I'm in school. And, and, and I said, oh, what do you want to do? She said, well, I want to become a, a surgeon. I said, oh, what kind? She said, well, either a brain surgeon or a plastic surgeon. I said, well, which one? She said, I'm not sure. I said, well, if you're not sure, do not be a brain surgeon. <laughs> Doctor, what do we do? I'm not sure. You know. <laughs> this would not be helpful, right? So, uh, so I said, well, what's the class? She says, oh, the class is on love and marriage. I said, oh, what's love? You know, and she said, we haven't had that class yet. <laughs> and I said, okay. I said, are you seeing anybody? She said, yes. Are you serious? Well, kind of, sort of. Do you think you're going to marry him? I don't know. She said, give me a piece of paper. She gave me a piece of paper, and I wrote this down on the piece of paper. I handed it back to her, and this was what was on the paper. She took the paper, and she looked at it, and this is what she read. You are a gift. It would be a privilege to spend my life pouring my life out so that you could become everything that God intends you to be. She looked at this and she looked up at me and I said, if that guy that you're seeing can't say that to you, dump him. Wow. And if you can't say it back, dump him. Why? This is the, mess, the message of the gift in marriage, in motion. I am to give myself as a gift is what happens on your wedding day. It's prepared for before the wedding day, but it is to be lived out in your married life. If, in fact... Not only am I a gift, but somehow my mission in life, my purpose in life is going to be somehow traced back to living out that gift quality of my existence. 
John Paul II leans on a teaching in the Second Vatican Council. And I put the quote here. It's from Gaudium et Spes. That's the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. It's the last document that was proclaimed by the Second Vatican Council. And it gives us a picture of what love is in terms of gift. Listen to the quote. Indeed, the Lord Jesus, when he prayed to the Father that all may be one as we are one, opened up vistas closed to human reason. For he implied a certain likeness between the union of the divine persons and the unity of God's children in truth and love. This likeness reveals that man, who is the only creature on earth which God willed for himself, cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of himself. Boy, that's a lot, a lot of theology. Precisely the opposite of what you'll read in many popular self-help books, which essentially say, you want to be fulfilled in life? Seek to be filled. The gift message is saying, if you want to be fulfilled in life, seek to be emptied. Seek to be poured out. Seek to be given away. Do you want to be fulfilled? You who are named gift, strive to live in a way where you're giving yourself away. You're giving of yourself. It's a beautiful teaching. And it's based on this concept of love as donatio. That Latin term that means to give as a gift. To love is to forge my very being into a gift. This shows up in marriage how? Through language like, look at the language. This is drawn from teachings in the magisterium, the, the authoritative teaching of the church. What happens in married love? What does the husband and wife do, the spouses? There's a mutual bestowal and acceptance. I give myself to you, and I open myself to receive you. That's the vow. It's this mutual entrustment of oneself into the hands of the other. I'm in your hands. I'm in your hands. But not only that, this love is total, faithful, exclusive, lifelong, and fruitful. These are all attributes or characteristics for donatio, love that is self-giving. Now, there's the theology. I want to talk about how this actually shows up concretely, very concretely. And so... I want to talk about living as a gift and how that's connected to joy. How that's connected to joy. You know, we all talk about we're made for happiness, right? That's a goal. I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. I want to be happy in life. But what about joy, right? Joy, the way that it's conceived in relationship to happiness is it's the fruit of having achieved a goal. And what I'm going to propose to you is God wants us to enjoy being married. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com.
drtomcurran.com. God wants us to enjoy being married. And to give you the example, I want to talk about chocolate chip cookies. So I, uh, I enjoy chocolate chip cookies. And one evening, after working hard all day, and then pouring myself out to serve some members of the church that evening, I was packing my stuff up, and, and someone said, Tom, this person knew I'd like chocolate chip cookies, I saved you a chocolate chip cookie. I took out a big napkin. She placed it there, and I covered it over, wrapped it up, and put it away. Made the ride home after that long day. I get home. Everyone's sleeping. I quietly make it to the kitchen, and I unfold the napkin on the kitchen table. I open the refrigerator door. I pull out the gallon of milk. I close the door, and there's Carrie. Who says to me, you brought me home a chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) And I said to her, and yes, and I was just getting out a nice cold glass of milk. (laughs) Or I said, touch it and you lose your hand. (laughs) Okay. Okay, this true story actually brings out the two kinds of joy that are available to you in marriage, really. The first kind of joy has to do with me and the cookie. Now, seeing uh, seeing that cookie and seeing Carrie and her desire for the cookie, if I ate that cookie, would I have enjoyed it? Absolutely, yes. (laughs) Maybe not as fully as I would have wanted to, but I would have, and there's a certain joy That comes from reaching that goal. I wanted that cookie. I got the cookie. And I ate the cookie. I reached the goal. The fruit of reaching my goal, joy. I got it. Right? But there's another joy that's available to me. And what's that joy? Gift. The joy of saying, no, Carrie. In fact, it would be my joy to forego my joy, delay my joy, give up my joy, or even... Share my joy so that you can enjoy this cookie. You following me? Welcome to married life. Welcome to life with children. The daily, hourly task and drama of accessing what I would enjoy versus surrendering my joy for the sake of someone else coming to joy. But this kind of joy is not separated from a form of self-donation. Self-donation, it sounds beautiful. You think donation, you think donut. Sounds good, right? (laughs) But if you think donation, self-donation as self-giving to the point of self-sacrifice, it doesn't sound so good anymore. Because, in fact, This higher joy is a resurrected joy. Did you hear that? The the first joy is a created joy. It's a natural joy. The, The second joy is a resurrected joy. But there's only one way to get to the resurrection. How do you, what is the Christian path to the resurrection? Through the what? Through the cross. That's right. 
Now, we all want to experience the resurrection. We just don't want to die, right? I don't want to die to self. I don't want to have to give up my will, my way. I resist that. I resist that. And I say this to you. I say this to you. This is, it's a profound truth for our spiritual lives that will be a great help in your married life. And it has to do with one of the deadly sins. It's called sloth. Sloth. You think sloth, what do you think? You grew up Catholic, you think laziness. No. Laziness, you're just kind of stuck on the couch. Sloth is not laziness. Laziness is the result of sloth. Sloth is the resistance you feel when it comes to moving towards God as the source of joy in your life. You see, insofar as I want to find joy in things apart from God, in things other than God, in things in my own way, then when God is saying, come, come my way, come to me, come to my joy, I am going to experience tremendous resistance towards that. I will not want to go that way. I don't want to give myself up, give myself over, especially when it's not easy and it's going to mean a lasting, ongoing giving of myself. I resist that. That's sloth. It's the refusal to find my joy in God because I want to find my joy in something other than God. Does that make sense? And that stops us from accessing this higher joy, this joy that comes through the cross to the resurrection. But God loves us too much to let us stay in a married life that says, I've brought you together to make you saints. I'm going to mutually mold you and perfect you to make you saints. And one of the ways that God does that is through each other. Another way God does that is through your children. Again, I don't know how God's going to do it in your case, but God will do it because he loves us. And so I want to say to you, living out this gift message to say, I'm going to give myself as a gift, self-donation will reach the point of self-sacrifice. You will be asked to die to yourself. It will involve suffering and the cross. It will. That's part of being a disciple. The only way to the resurrection is through the cross. But I don't want you to stall on the cross. And I got to turn to my in-laws. Carrie um, is number 10 of 12 children. Um, she's very grateful. <laughs> Her parents were open to life. Uh, and number 11, Christina, um, you might see, Christina um, comes over our house quite a bit. She's developmentally disabled. She has the capabilities mentally of about a two-year-old, and she has a number of difficulties with her muscles at being atrophied and uh, just a, a wonderful sweet girl. We love having her around. Well, Carrie's parents went on a family retreat. They did this for years. They would go to go away together. They'd get a big lodge, all the kids, the in-laws, all the grandkids, and they would have a, a question box where they'd ask questions to the parents. And... Uh, and Carrie told me about this one time when they took out the question. They said, what was the greatest gift and what was the greatest cross of your married life? What was the greatest gift and the greatest cross of your married life? They said, well, the greatest cross of our married life was Christina. Christina being born and then discovering her uh, you know, developmental disability and then to walk with her through life. It, it's been a, a daily challenge, a daily trial and difficulty and a suffering. And what's the greatest gift God's given you in your marriage? Christina. 
Christina, little Christ, little Christ. And Mrs. DiLorenzo, my mother-in-law, she gets it. Because when it came time to choose her middle name, she said, I know what her middle name is. It's Joy. Christina Joy. This little one, this little one given to us from God is the supreme gift given to us in our married life. And this little one will be a cause of joy, a source of joy that will be unlike any other. God asks us to give ourselves as a gift. Let me talk about it in terms of now decisions. Now, if this is true, that the Lord wants to give you this gift, if the Lord is asking you to be a gift, one of the big challenges that you have to realize is this, is that I don't want to give myself quickly or easily or well. I need a source of strength to be able to give myself quickly and easily and well. And that source of strength is not going to simply be found within me, but is going to come from beyond me. This is where God gives us the one who in God is named gift. Who is that one in God that is named gift? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us to be a source within us, a source of strength, a source of, of, of guidance to be able to live out this message. You are not asked to live out this gift message on your own strength. In fact, in our tradition, St. Thomas Aquinas says that there are many influences that happen around you in your life that attempt to move you, but from the outside. But from the inside, there are only two forces that can move you into action. What are those two sources? One is you. No, no big problem there. What's the other force that can move you from within? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given inside yourself, inside your heart, inside your deepest center to be a source of movement when you don't have the strength to move yourself. And I tell you, to live out this gift message, you will find yourself resisting and incapable. How often? Every day. Every day. And so, the first thing to do in the morning, the first thing to do when we're facing situations is, Holy Spirit, I need you who are the gift from God given to me to give me the grace to be a gift right now because I do not have the strength. I need to rely on you. St. Paul talks about being led by the Holy Spirit. Here's your basic drama. Basic drama of everyday decisions. Who's leading me? Who's moving me? Who's yielding to whom? When you yield, you have two coming into one, right? One is supposed to give way so the other goes in front. We are to yield to the Holy Spirit to let the Holy Spirit lead us forward. Well, how might this show up more concretely in terms of some of the decisions we make? I want to give you four sentences that um, Carrie and I have used in our marriage occasionally to try to remind us of this idea of yielding to the Holy Spirit and striving to be a gift to the other. Um, The first one, Uh, And let me tell you the four sentences. Are you ready? You can say them after me. This is not important to me. This is important to to you. You You are important to me. me. I'll do that. that. Okay. So the first story goes back to that moment in recent history where God proved his existence without any doubt. 2004 in October when the Red Sox won the World Series. <laughs> and he did so in a way that also showed the downfall of the devil 
because the Red Sox not only won the World Series, they did it by defeating the Yankees on their way. That's right. Very clear. Good discernment, I can see, right? Now, what did I want to do being out here away from Boston? I wanted to watch the game and celebrate it with friends, right? In fact, one of the guys was actually there for this story. John, you were there that night. Uh, well, I said, Kerry, I'd love to have some friends over. I want to watch the World Series game. And you know what I need? I need someone who would just be willing to bring us some more drinks and some chips. And some, <laughs> love some chicken wings and little pizza things. And could you surprise us? You know what Kerry said to me, Tom? This is not important to me. <laughs> this is important to you. You are important to me. And I'll do that. And as we're watching the game, honey, she comes out with her tray and her apron. Right? Oh, it was a great night. Yeah, you remember that? Within a week, Carrie showed me an invitation to a spa night happening at our house. Right? Facial, pedicure, jewelry. And, and you know what I said to Carrie? This is not important to me. This is important to you. You're important to me. I'll do that. And the spa night shows up. And I have my apron on and my tray. And I'm giving out tea cookies. Would you like some more tea? Well, you have two choices, really, really. You have two choices in terms of how you're going to make decisions in your marriage, in terms of this yielding, in terms of this, let me be the gift tonight, right? It's so concrete. It's so practical. What's Tuesday, a few days from now, there's going to be a drama in your homes. We're going to rent a movie. What movie should we rent? And you know how the conversation goes. Last week, we rented the movie that... You wanted to watch. This week, we're going to watch the movie that I pick out, right? That's one option. I advocate for me. I fight for my preference. We go to the restaurant that I pick because last time we went to the one you picked. Or we can say, honey, I know you've had a hard week. And I know that last week, we watched Sleepless in Seattle for the seventh time. <laughs> but I rented it again. Let's see the movie that you want to see. No, no, dear. I know that it's been a particularly hard week on you. I want to go to the restaurant that you want to go to. Ooh. Where's that marriage happening? Fantasyland? Right? Or not. Or not. All I'm saying to you is, Try to live out that message. Not only am I a gift, but I have been entrusted with one who is a gift. And I'm supposed to be a gift to that person as a path to my fulfillment and her sanctification. Or I can just fight for myself. I choose to at least strive for God's way for God's majestic vision for marriage. I want to talk about prayer in your family and prayer in your marriage. Why? 
Again, I think a lot of what you would read in terms of popular literature or presentations tends to focus on the two of you or on you and your family. And yet, who's the author of marriage? God. Who's the one who's most, the most important commitment in marriage? It's, it's from heaven. It's God. Who's the one that's given us the power to live out our marriage vow? It's God. Who's the one that's going to be the, the cement that holds us together and the joy that's going to overflow? This is, it requires of us a life-giving, vital connection with God. And so I want to talk about, I'm going to be very practical and share with you ways that Carrie and I have tried and failed and tried and tried and failed and tried to introduce prayer into our family's life and also um, in our own lives as couples. Um, and along the way, I'm going to be giving you some principles and insights about prayer for your own life as well. Okay, So I'm going to do all of those things woven together. So it can be a challenge to foster prayer as a family. So I want to begin with the easier things and then maybe move to some things that are maybe uh, stretching you a bit. Right? Obviously, a very simple one is a blessing at meals, right? Obviously, teaching your kids the blessing at the meal, the bless us, O Lord, but you can extend that. If you already do the bless us, O Lord, that can easily become rote. So you can add something to it, add a simple prayer in front of it. What we did growing up, my family, was we assigned each uh, child in the family had a day. So on Monday, it was George, Tuesday, Tom, Wednesday, Joe, Thursday, Connie, Friday, Diane, Saturday, my mom and dad, Sunday, the whole family. And so when we gathered for our meal, my dad would lead the prayer and he would pray for, uh, he would pray for the family and then he would focus on whose day it was. And especially today we pray for Tommy. Don't ever say that to me. (laughs) And it was really beautiful because I got to hear some of my siblings actually saying a prayer out loud for me on my day. And then uh, when we, you know, kind of broke off in our different ages, we could still be having the day, right? I could still know on which day to be praying for which brother or which sister. So that's a way to extend something like a blessing at a meal to go beyond a meal and to make it personal. You have no idea the power that is yours when you speak to God about one of your kids in front of that kid. God, I ask you to bless this dear one of mine. It is so powerful when you speak to God about one of your kids in front of that kid. So hold on to that. Now, this also can be something that you take public, right? My kids all know they have, they have no question or qualm that if we're out at a, at a you know, Red Robin or some little restaurant or wherever we're at, we are going to bless ourselves and we're going to say our blessing. So the kids also know that somehow this blessing isn't just so hidden from view that it's somehow disconnected from what we do out in the world, what we do out in public, right? Okay, another big one is mass. Going, now, I'm not saying go to mass because I'm hopeful that you all go to mass uh, in accord with what the church uh, requires. Um, but what I do mean is preparing for mass. And know your family. My family One hour and 15 minutes. One hour and 15 minutes is the prep time it takes for us to say, go! And then to shepherd those cats 
It takes an hour and 15, not an hour and 14 minutes. You know what happens if you don't know your family in terms of how much time it takes? This is what it's going to be like on the ride to church or from church, you know. If you start talking again, right, in Jesus' holy name, you're going to meet him, right? You tell me how many times you lose peace on the way to the, meet the Prince of Peace. How many times are you arguing over, you know, how people are talking to each other on the way to the church, right? So in, in the spiritual tradition that we're a part of, this is called proximate preparation. Proximate preparation, which means this, that you spend the time prior to prayer by getting yourself to be in the state you want to be when you are praying. Did you hear that? You use the time leading up to the prayer to get yourself to be in the state you want to be in when you pray. So what I mean is this. Some of you might choose to actually have a prayer time in the evening. I love to pray in the evening. But if I'm going to pray, say, for instance, at 10 o'clock, I don't say that I'm going to turn the TV off at 9.59.59. Right? After the last CSI or whatever program is on. Because what's going to happen if I go from intense activity, all these activities, to say, oh, now I'm in my prayer time. The first how long segment of my prayer time is going to be totally unwinding the the energy that I'm carrying into it. If you're going to take your prayer time at 10, 9.30, everything gets shut down, and you start peacefully moving towards your prayer time so you'll pray well. Did you hear that? Take that into account for Mass. You don't want to have to be rushing the kids to get ready on their way out the door to Mass. Now, there's also the um, merit-based approach. You might know it as the bribe. Okay. In our home, we call it the donut. And what it means is this, is that when you go into Mass, you have zero donuts. But if you act well during Mass, at the end of the Mass, you have the potential of earning a whole donut. And after Mass, we're going to drive to the nearest donut place, and we're going to get donuts. And depending on how well you did during Mass, you're going to have earned a certain portion of that donut. Trust me, there are screams and tears the first time a kid doesn't get the full donut but the message is delivered. And then we lay out not just what is not acceptable, we lay out all the things that are expected. What's not acceptable is moving around. What is expected is saying your prayers. What is not, what is not acceptable, you, you can list them all, right? They're all the very practical things that you get, right? It's letting them be clear about what's expected in terms of the positive and what's not expected in terms of the negative. And then afterwards, after Mass, when we get our kids back in the car and we're driving, we will, Carrie and I will talk about the Mass with the radio off. We'll say, so what did you hear? What struck you? Did God say anything to you in what was said today at Mass? We want our kids to see us talking about this expectation that we had. That in Mass, Jesus is there and he's showing up. Jesus is there and he's coming close. We want them to know that it's not just something that we believe, but it's something that we're going to try to talk about afterwards. Now, I want to talk about also um, family prayer time. Okay, 
again, you have kids at different ages, and so some of you this might not be as relevant right now, but um, one of the things that we do as a family is we try to be intentional about gathering our kids to pray. And I totally get the idea of it's difficult, it's difficult, you got sports, you got activities, you got, look, I got it. And yet, it's a matter of priorities. What's important? I've been given the stewardship of helping my kids become saints to get them to know that God loves them and to live out the mission God has for them. And if I'm not helping them to pray, by not just saying they should pray, but teaching them to pray and praying with them. I talked last week about praying for them. Now I'm talking about praying with them and teaching them to pray, then I'm going to fail in my stewardship. And so, or it's going to be way more difficult. Let me at least say it like that. So we will, uh, we will be very intentional about praying, saying, okay, after dinner, you're going to uh, do your chores, and then we're going to gather, and we, we, we create a prayer space. And in that space, the kids get to kind of bring their little pillow or their little thing, but then they get settled, and then we try to create the environment. So whether it's a candle or it's music or a song, um, we do this mixture of we're intentional about praying. We will pray as a family. So that's fixed. What's not fixed is how it's going to happen. Keep it fresh. Change it up. So we'll pray the rosary for a time. Then we'll do stations of the cross for a time. And in that prayer time, what do they learn? They learn their prayers, right? They learn their prayers. So there's a whole string of the traditional prayers, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be. You have to teach them these things. But I precede all of those prayers. I precede all of those prayers with a prayer that says something like this. Heavenly Father, we come together as a family in Jesus' name, and I ask you to give us the gift of prayer because we won't pray well without your grace. So please help us, Father. Help us to pray well. We want to receive that gift. And give us also the ability to pay attention and to enter in. Now, you can only say that prayer if you have an advanced degree in theology. So you just, you know... (laughs) Anybody can do that. What did I just do? I just opened my heart, my heart that I have before God in front of my family. Tradere alis contemplata. It's the Dominican principle of handing over to others the fruits of what you have gazed upon. You hand over to others the fruits of what you have gazed upon. That's why Mother Teresa was so powerful as a preacher. Her words struck because it was based on the weight of her union with God. That's what was displayed. And I'm saying to you, you have to put on display your relationship with God before your kids. Because whether you realize it or not, you already are. Did you hear that? That's why this is so, it's so personal, even though it's about family prayer, It's always going to trace back to your personal prayer. Unless you're in that life-giving relationship with God as a son of God, a daughter of God, as a disciple of the Lord, it might just be rituals that are being repeated that are happening in your family. And God wants more. God wants so much more for you. You know what a great help for this is? Don't try to do it alone. Don't try to do it alone. Get together with other families. Get other families together and celebrate your faith together. Uh, We did that with a couple other families that were here. We committed for a whole year to walk together. 
And we, we did a, every other week, we got our families together in a room. And you know what we did? We sang songs of praise to God. And you know why my kids loved it? Especially my oldest kids? Because there were older teenagers there. And that was cool. It was cool for them, an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, an 8-year-old, to see older kids expressing their faith, loving God, and to see everybody together. Uh, not just It's not just our family. We're not just a weird family. but it, Well, maybe we're also a weird family. But, but we found other weird families. And a lot of weird families don't look that weird. Now, I want to um, give you a practical discipline that's not often valued in our time. Silence. Silence. We fill our times with lots of noise. Um, in our tradition, silence is that which disposes us. It readies us. It prepares us for the unfolding of the depth dimension of things. Silence disposes us for the unveiling of presence, the deeper spiritual presence. Think of it this way. Remember the time when you would walk into your kids' rooms to check on them before you went to bed, and you came upon one of them who was just sleeping. And instead of just saying, check, okay, he's fine, you just stopped and stared. And you just all of a sudden, just by being present in silence before the presence of your child, all of a sudden, you are almost brought to tears out of what welled up in you when you began to realize who it was that was there sleeping in that bed. Silence readies you for the unveiling of the depth dimension, the, 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 the gift dimension, the, the spiritual dimension, the divine, the God at present there can break out in the open in silence. Noise keeps us at the surface. Silence invites us into the depths. We're not going to get a lot of silence in our culture. So I know that. So Carrie and I fight for silence in our home. So we do silent time with our kids. And I know this must sound crazy. Um, It started as a game. Okay, who can be quiet for 30 seconds? Okay, whoever whoever talks first loses. And it was 30 seconds, and these kids practically held their breath. Right? And then it was, again, another game, 30 seconds. And then it was a minute. Held, and I know this only works for younger kids, but I know there are some among you that have this, and maybe grandkids. And then it was a minute, and then it was two minutes, and then it was five minutes, and then it was no longer a game, and then it was prayer. Now we're going to sit quiet together as a family in this other room, and we're just going to be quiet. And now, all of a sudden, I taught them that being quiet was not not making noise, but it was learning how to listen. You see, you're being quiet in order to be ready to listen. And not moving isn't not moving around. It's being still. And so you can come to my home. We do it for a half an hour now. Um, but our kids know, okay, we're going to have quiet time. How long? Half an hour. Okay. And then we set the timer. And they know if they talk, reset back to 30 minutes. Ooh, we're mean. Ooh. Hey, man, I'm telling you. But what do we do? We give them goals. We give them goals. So we want you to listen. We do things like, I, I won't go into much more detail, but we do things like, I'm trying to let them learn how to pay attention in silence. And so it's like, okay, I want you to listen. I want you to listen 
to what's happening outside the house. I want you to listen to what's happening inside this, inside the house. And then I want you to listen to inside you. And then after 10 minutes, tell me what you heard. And they'll say outside I heard a car. You know, inside I heard, you know, the baby. But then it's inside themselves. You know, it might be I heard my heartbeat or I heard my breathing. But then every once in a while you'll get, God said, God said to me, peace. Wow. You're getting it. And then it's what do you see? And then what do you feel? The kids like the feel one because they put their heads in a pillow when I bring things out and they've got to try to sense it. But I try to make it fun for them too. So you get introduced silence. You will appreciate the power and importance of silence for your kids when, guess what? You appreciate the power and importance of silence for yourself. Sit in silence. Which brings me to adoration. You want a place where you can get just completely, the, sort of the complete package of the gift message? It would be an adoration. What is adoration? The, there's a chapel right over here where there's a tabernacle. It's a beautiful place to go and pray because it's a place where you can guess what? Be still and know that I am God. And so I talked about bringing our kids to adoration, but I didn't tell you how far we live away from St. Philomena's. We live a rosary away. We get our kids in the car and they pray a rosary while they get to St. Philomena's. And I got to tell you, if you lined up the ugliest rosaries ever prayed in history, those are on close to the top of the list. They are noisy and cantankerous and frustrated and resisting. And maybe one good Hail Mary, right? Maybe one good Hail Mary out of the 53, right? And we pull in the Hail Holy Queen. We arrived at the parking lot. But I tell you, you know what's happened in that ride? They've settled down. They've settled down, and now they're disposed to pray when they get into adoration. And so I say to you, learn silence yourself. Now, let's talk about not only individuals, but what about as a couple? So Carrie and I were very different. Carrie loves to sing to God, and I love to listen to Carrie sing to God, um, which means that I, I enjoy singing, but... Um, I enjoy more quiet prayer, and she enjoys more um, vocal prayer. And so that has been a bit of a struggle for us when we take prayer time together. And so what we've done are things like use a Bible. Take the readings on Sunday. Okay? The Magnificat is a great little prayer aid. Uh, the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office, another great daily prayer that the church prays that you could pray as a couple. If it's, if, it's kind of, if it's foreign at first, you may just choose a prayer book. Why? Because it, it's a bit vulnerable even just to speak out loud the same prayer when it's just you and your spouse if you've never done that before. So maybe just starting with reading a prayer together is a great place to start. But then you can go beyond that by speaking petitions, talking to God, learning how to talk to God out loud, and then moving on to letting God talk to you. Did you hear that? God wants to communicate to you. Really? Pope Benedict XVI said, God is not God until God is the living God. God is not really God in your life until he's the living God, meaning you know that he is more alive than you are, and he's approaching you today, and he has a word. He wants to speak to you today. I'm not saying you're going to hear his voice. I will say that you know you've been communicated to. Did you hear that? There's a difference between saying, I heard a voice and I know that I've received a message. 
I know there's a truth that's now alive in me that's clear in me that wasn't clear before. That's the fruit of the encounter with the living God. And so I can't encourage you enough to take some practical steps to pray together as a couple and as an individual. I'm going to give you just a couple of practical things to do, and then I'll, I'll, I'll end. The first is this. Recognize that you will resist it. The first experience you'll have in prayer is, I don't know how to pray. Yay. You've reached the starting line. The starting line of all prayer is the recognition that I don't know how to pray. Prayer is a gift. But God wants to give you the gift more than you want to receive it. You didn't hear it. God wants to give you the gift of prayer more than you want to receive it. He's waiting to give it to you. So open yourself. God, I don't know how to pray. If you don't bless me right now, I'm out of here. <laughs> right? If you don't bless me really strongly, I'm just going to spend all my time thinking about work and uh, things to do tomorrow, and I'm tired. I need you to show up, and I need you to show up quickly. I need help. And don't stop doing that until you get some help. And then ask forgiveness for needing all the help. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I got a whole series on this, by the way, if you want. It's called Growing in Prayer. Um, I don't, and so we're going to hear all of that for the next two hours. So everybody sit back and listen. I don't have time to get into all of that. So let me just, let me just say prayer is a gift. It's based, first of all, on your incapacity, but your determination, your effort to pray. It's going to take effort. So let's be practical. I ask you, tomorrow, when are you going to pray? When? Be practical. When are you going to pray tomorrow? Set a time. Okay. When's your backup time? When's your backup time? Because you know what? You know what the odds are of you actually making it to that first prayer time? Probably not that strong. So you need a backup time because you will find resistance. You will find things get in your way. So set a first time and then have a backup time. And then the second question is, where are you going to pray? Where are you going to pray? If you can, please do not pray in that seat that faces the 60-inch plasma screen. Okay? Sit in a place that can become your prayer space, your prayer seat. Create a prayer space. And you begin to have a whole history of encounters with God there. And it's not in bed before you go to bed. Okay? If you say, I'm too busy, I can't find time, you know what my, my next statement is going to be? Get up earlier. <laughs> yeah. You laugh, Gary. Get up earlier. What's so funny, right? Yeah, get up earlier, right? Well, I can't get up. I'm too late. I'm too tired. Go to bed earlier. Well, that means I have to. That's right. I have to plan and maybe I have to make a sacrifice. Where is God actually going to fit into my life? And all of a sudden you start seeing, oh my goodness. If God isn't the last relationship in my list of priorities, but the first relationship, then maybe I should give him the best time and not the last time. Maybe I shouldn't try to fit him onto my schedule, but maybe I should see how to fit everything else in my schedule around him. Oh, wow. I thought this was a talk about marriage. Yeah, it is. Marriage that comes from God as a gift. Marriage that needs to be lived out with God's strength or it's going to face a rocky road. So, um, and then when you come together, here's uh, what I say with Kerry and me when we, when we pray together. Um, we often will end up just fighting for each other's personal prayer time. What I mean is this. Kerry, don't pray with me right now. Go pray by yourself. I need you 
to nurture that intimate connection with Christ. And then, yeah, we can pray too together, but I need you to have that time one-on-one with the Lord. Very practical. You ever go out on a date night? There can always be a first stop on that date night. I don't care what time of day and night it is. St. Philomena's got that chapel. It's always open. I'll tell you the code afterwards if you want to know it. Um, Carrie and I will do that. Swing by, stop by, pray, and then go off. Go to the movie, go to dinner, do whatever. Why not? Why not? So be practical. Expect resistance. Make an effort. God is on your side. God is on your side. I gave some other practical things there. But let's just end because of time with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loving God, I do thank you and praise you that you give yourself to us as a gift. And I pray, Lord, for the gift of prayer for each of us, for each couple here, for each of us as individuals, that we might come to know more fully the gift that you long to give to us in prayer, the gift of yourself, the gift of your love. Spirit of God, please be stirred in each of our hearts that we might yield to you more fully, that we might give that first place in our lives over to you, that you would lead us forward into, a, into the marriage that you've planned for us. Lord, I thank you that you are gift and that you've given us such a great gift in marriage. And I pray, Lord, that you would stand with us at our points of deepest need and that you give each of us the gift we most need right now to be able to glorify you more fully in our lives. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.